week, Swinging Stocks acknowledges the traditional custodians of Australia's lands, skies and waterways and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is brought to you by SelfWealth and operates under AFSL number 421789 as general advice only. Because we can't take into account your personal objectives or financial situation, you should seek independent professional financial advice before making any investment decision. For more information and our financial disclosure statement, check the show notes. Such a good headline. A safe, clean technology exploded over the past few years. Nickel, copper, lithium and rare earths. Quite a bit of a transformation, haven't you? One of the fastest growing ETF providers. About $130 billion a downturn in markets. It's high inflation. And that's the beauty of investing. BHP's bid for Oz Minerals. That is the time that they invest in infrastructure. You're watching some of the smartest, most resourced companies think about the future. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. It does keep it interesting and it does keep you employed. Recession, reopening, renewables. Wherever that ends up going for Twiggy. <laughs> we didn't ask you this last time you were on. Welcome back to our ASX Deep Dive series. This week, we're back to talk about minerals, which most people know Australia is famous for. Perhaps you know it was what buffered Australia from previous recessions or contributor to our higher than average weekly wage. We've brought in our resident resource expert, Kanish Chug from GlobalX. Kanish is the head of distribution, and I'm so excited to have you back on the podcast. Welcome. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm really well. I'm very keen for this year to be over, I have to say. It's so <laughs> crazy. But since we've had you on the pod, you've undergone quite a bit of a transformation, haven't you? Last time we spoke, we were going through your career history. I was obsessed with your butterfly transformation and now you're at Global X. And I think industry experts will probably understand or be aware of the change, but can you break it down for the listeners? Yeah, definitely. So we were previously ETF securities. And um, for those that aren't aware, ETF securities was the second oldest uh, provider of ETFs here in Australia. So um, very well known for our physical gold product, um, G-O-L-D, which was actually the first physical gold product launched anywhere in the world. But in June of this year, we were acquired by Global X and Mirai Asset. And GlobalX actually is a US ETF provider. A lot of people, you know, those that are in the ETF space will, will know of GlobalX. They're one of the fastest um, ET growing ETF providers over there in America and very well known for having thematic and commodity and income exposures. And so things like, you know, cybersecurity, uh, battery tech and, and electric vehicles, um, you know, hydrogen, uranium. We've got a, a range of also sort of equity income funds. Um, and globally, they've got offices around the world and managing, you know, close to, I think when I was looking at it, it's about 60 to 70 billion Australian dollars. Um, and that's including now now us as well. So, you know, for the acquisition for, for Australian investors, I guess anyone that's invested in our ETFs at the moment, whether it be ACDC, RoboFang, Gold, um, et cetera, there isn't much change for them. You know, obviously the name has changed, the brand has changed. So for people, the, the, the name of, um, say, the ETFS Physical Gold would be now Global X Physical Gold. But the ticker is, is still the same. So GLD is still GLD. ACDC is still ACDC. Obviously, we now have a new website, different colors, different brand. But I guess for a lot of investors, that is the shift. And I, the one thing I would like to point out is, you know, why, who are GlobalX and, you know, why do they come into the market? I think it's a really big, you know, 
I think, vindication of the Australian ETF market because it shows that there is a keenness for entering Australia, you know, a potential for the continued growth and momentum that we already have. You know, the, the ETF market in Australia is about $130 billion in terms of size based on the number of the the assets that are in ETFs in the market, there's about over 270. So there's a lot of growth that's happened already in the past five to seven years. Continually, there'll be con- there'll be more growth. But you know, for Global X, you know, they really want it to be a point of difference, and one of their big points of difference is research. So it's very odd to say because tr- traditionally we go ETFs, they're passive, which means they track an index. So the ASX 200, the S&P 500, you know, physical gold. Why would you need research? You know, that research, when we talk about asset management or funds management, it normally is you associate with, say, an active manager like, you know, Perpetual or Magellan, et cetera. But for an ETF provider, we're probably, we want to do and focus on research for two reasons. One, you need to ensure that when you launch a fund that's founded on research. You know, just we can't just say, you know, we, we recently launched a uranium ETF or a, a green metal miners ETF, for example, but why? So how do we, why did we decide to launch that fund? Part of it is the research element to it, what goes into defining and picking out some of these themes and exposures, but then also developing that fund as well, because you sometimes can just go, well, how do you define that particular exposure? You know, how do you define copper miners, for example? You know, mm-hmm. what goes into that? And then the second part is actually providing investors with really deep research and, and, you know, insights. And so that's something that we're really keen to showcase to the Australian market. So people that go to our website, there's a lot of good content in there just around whether it's at the individual stock level, whether it's around the broader theme, whether it's around ETFs, there's a whole range of different things that we're trying to do there now. So the learning to kind of be part of the brand differentiation. I really love that. But I want to talk about Mm. you for a second. Obviously, you've had a big year personally, big restructure. Mm -hmm. It's a public restructure. I can't imagine the amount of work that would have been in there as a lawyer. (laughs) I'm internally crying for your teams. (laughs) But I want to talk about, we didn't ask you this last time you were on, but I'm very keen to know for you personally, obviously, you've been in the finance sector in investing and specifically around, you know, equities for a very long time. How did this all start for you? What was your first investing memory? So that's that's an interesting one because um, my first investing memory, because, you know, growing up, my parents are in the medical field. So I wasn't as exposed to investing or the equity markets, to to be completely honest, from from their side. But it was actually my, my grandfather in India. Um, where when I would go over there and visit, he worked in you know in financial services in India, and you know he would often you know pick up the paper and you know read through the stocks, and he had exposure and uh, to to shares over there, um, in particular the companies that he worked in, so you know mm-hmm. some of the banks, and so that would be probably one of the first memories that I have around investing, um, and also just you know thinking about saving as well. I know you know. When talking to my parents and being like, you know, when I was young, you know, you, you want that that new toy or whatever it may be, and it'd be like, okay, cool, well, you can wash the car. That's going to be X amount. You know, you're going to we're going to give you a few dollars. You know, saving that up, and it's actually something I'm starting to do with with my kids now as well. I'll probably they'll probably be a little bit more exposed earlier on to investing than, than I would have, but that's probably my first memory. That's so beautiful because I think a lot of it's funny <laughs> our other. Um, guests have had like the closer 
our guests are to financial services, the more personal some of the investing stories are as well, like around, <laughs> particularly around family. So there is a generational aspect, I think, to, to getting comfortable with investing. But we've got you on this episode to talk about ASX, materials, metals, and minerals as a subsector. And obviously, GlobalX, you mentioned before, you're really famous for your gold product and for ACDC as well, which I think was a hot ticket item a couple of years ago. Certainly very <laughs> lot, you know, a lot talked about. And these are some of the most popular materials-based funds self-wealth investors hold. But there's also a real trove of other sectors that GlobalX is looking at. And you've mentioned the research that goes into those other ETFs that you hold and that you've launched recently as well. So what are some of the ETFs that you've launched recently and what's the kind of exposure that they're looking to give or what kind of market are they trying to penetrate? Yeah, definitely. So obviously we when we rebranded ETF Securities as a business in September this year, in the past sort of eight to 10 weeks, we've launched four new ETFs really focused on sort of making a material change, so the commodity side of making mm. a material change. So within that, we launched a green metal miners ETF and the code for that is GMTL. Mm. And, and that fund really is all about transition metals. You know, it's focusing on that, the minerals that are required for that clean energy transition. So it's looking at the underlying producers and explorers of that sort of energy transition or the minerals for required for energy transition. We've also launched a copper miners ETF. So it's drilling down specifically on copper, which is actually, you know, everyone, I think it's interesting. Lithium gets a lot of airplay. And obviously, we've got ACDC, which provides that sort of lithium exposure plus the battery tech thematic as well. But lithium, everyone talks about whether it's because of the focus on electric vehicle adoption, Tesla, Elon Musk is, you know, I can't pick up my phone and not look at a story about about Musk now, especially because of Twitter. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but um, it's good in the sense of the elevation of the conversation around, say, lithium. But there's more to that. So, you know, there's other minerals and other metals that are getting a lot more focus from those in the know when they're thinking about what do we need to do yeah. to get to net zero. So we launched a copper miners ETF and the code for that is WIRE, W-I-R-E. And also recently we've launched a uranium ETF as well, which the code for that is ATOM, A-T-O-M. So again, when we think about what are the clean technologies that are going to be required to get to net zero? It's not just one. It's not just hydrogen. It's not just battery technology. It's not just solar or wind or water. It's also things like uranium. And uranium is probably a bit of a it's a, a bit of a controversial technology, given obviously the you know the link to you know some really dark periods of the history. Misunderstood yeah. as well, and yeah. some obviously. Um, Events in history, you know, even Fukushima in, you know, over mm, a decade ago now. Of course. Um, but there's a lot of work that's been going into making uranium a safe, clean technology. And when you think about it, you know, one pellet um, of sort of uranium, one uranium pellet has vastly, um, you know, magnified or multiplied the amount of energy that you would get from the same amount in terms of barrels of oil or you know mm. gas or coal, et cetera. So there's a lot of benefits. And I think there's a lot of work from certain countries into uranium. And so that's an, another fund we'd launch. And then just, uh, just this week, we launched a carbon credits ETF as well. So GCO2, so that's an ETF that focuses on giving exposure to 
the carbon or the price of carbon credits. It's a synthetic product, so it invests in futures because it's very hard to be completely honest to provide a liquid directly. And also for Australian investors, they may not feel the benefit of investing in the Californian um, carbon credit market or the Mm. you know the European or the UK. There really is no ability to offset for for their own personal self. But the price of carbon credits is really, you know exploded over the past few years. There's a need for them, obviously, if you start to see more of these um, energy companies in particular. And in Europe, actually, there's a big mandate now even for airlines to start to have to access and hold carbon credits or the emission trading scheme and contracts over there. So GCO2 is a fund that we launched this week. It's one of the lowest cost ways to access that carbon um, exposure. It's a really interesting alternative for investors that are looking for that sustainable portfolio. And something really unique about that product, I don't know if people are aware, but there's an element of giving back as well. So, you know, we, um, as a business, we're um, going to be taking 10% of the fee from GCO2 to actually work with a partner here in Australia, Carbon Neutral, to plant trees. So that doesn't provide any offset. It's more just a, an element of giving back that we're going to be doing as a business. Ah, little gift when you purchase your green green idea. Exactly. I'm really curious to test with you. That's quite cool. a number of like primary producers ETFs. Like I've I've noticed a real shift. Like in the ETFs you're talking about, we're talking about actual miners, actual explorers, as opposed to necessarily like manufacturers or retailers who might sit further up the value chain. Yeah. Why the focus mm-hmm. directly? I think it's interesting because most people would think, oh well, I'll just go and buy a direct share in a company. What's the value benefit of investing directly in these miners through an ETF product? So I guess for Australian investors, look, we're, the fact that we're on here and there's a big focus and there's always going to be a topic around Australian miners and minerals and the resources sector, Australian investors are well-versed in that space. But sometimes they can get tunnel vision in only looking at the Australian market. And so the idea behind launching some of these ETFs is you need to look beyond just Australia. So if I looked at GMTL, that that green metal miners ETF, some of the largest lithium miners or rare earth metal miners are actually from countries like China. If I looked at, you know, Adam, the the uranium ETF is actually a bit more across the value chain of of nuclear, um, but wire, very specific on copper miners, but, you know, it's got exposure to Canada. It's got exposure to so diversification, you know, really. Diversification, like avoiding home beyond, country bias. Avo- yeah, avoiding home country bias, really. Mm. And I think the other thing is there are still elements of how people want to play different thematics. So ACDC is a value chain. It provides lithium all the way down to the car manufacturers, the producers, and the manufacturers of batteries themselves. Um, but some people want the specific underlying exposure. And you know, with with copper, for example, there is you know there, the value chain on on copper is is a bit unique. You, you can only really look at the miners in that space. You're not going to be able to look at yes, you know, if you think about an electric vehicle, it uses a lot of copper, but that's already got your exposure in, in that thematic. So it would be a bit of a, a unique mix to try and fit all those in. Um, so th- I think that's a, that's a key point is people want sometimes a bit more granular granularity in their investment, but for us. The reason why we're launching these is to provide a bit of a global play on, on these as well. And it complements Australian investors, the usage as well, because they can hold, you know, some of those individual names and understand, obviously, if there's any overlap, because there is, we've got some Australian exposures in these funds, but just they can hold them side by side. 
Yeah, so it's like a nice satellite play. It's a good diversification, something to think about exactly for right. anyone that wants that kind of exposure. I like it. It also means you, you can't, you don't have to necessarily try to pick out the, the winner amongst a, a basket of, of, of a, bun, uh, no, a bunch of names. You know, that can be hard as well. Yeah, and as always with ETFs, you get the benefit of professional analysts doing a lot of the research in picking the, yes. you know, if it is an active fund as opposed to something that's just tracking an index. But um, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the sector itself because mm-hmm. it's been a wild year. It's been yes. a wild year for, me, <laughs> for a number of reasons, but particularly for our big miners, obviously inflation is coming to the party and they're all having the best time because yeah. Rio, BHP, uh, Fortescue as well, roughly climbed 25% in November and that wasn't even their 2022 peak. So tell us, for investors that are just like watching this in confusion, what is going on? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's an interesting time at the moment with you know, the Australian market because of that material sector has really softened the blow when you look globally, look at the US, for example, and you know the big downturn that they've had because of their extreme exposure to some of those growth names and some of the tech names in particular, whereas Australia, because of that materials overweight that we have relative to the rest of the world, it's, it's softened the blow. And I was, I was doing some, some research into this and the Australian Bureau of Statistics was saying that roughly around $1 billion was spent on exploration, so mineral exploration in Australia during the September quarter, and that surpassed the peak of the last mining boom. And when you think of it like that, that's about it's only about twenty four million more than the previous record, which was one point zero six billion that was set in the June quarter in twenty twelve. But that gives you an example of what some of these mining companies in Australia, in particular, and also global companies that are looking at Australia that have you know rights and um, you know exploration. Uh, projects here in Australia as well. And I think, you know, the greenfields exploration is probably this, and that's the, basically the search for new mineral fields. That was up nearly 10%, so 9.7% in that September quarter at about $344 million. So again, people, companies are looking for that new mineral fields. Mm. And when you actually broke it down to so gold, I think given the the vast supply potentially that Australia has of gold, that was still the most sought after commodity. I think gold has, and you know, we, we talk quite often about gold given we've got our physical gold fund. It's a, it's a really strong defensive asset. It's historically, it's one of the oldest commodities and is used wildly. Um, but the, there's an increase in demand also for critical metals. Um, and those um, green green metals or transition metals, so things like nickel, copper, lithium, mm. and rare earth. So this is a big shift that we're actually seeing. Is Australia traditionally has been known as an iron ore producer. We've got obviously coal, um, gas, etc. But there is a shift for um, some of these companies like BHP and Rio, and we've seen that in some of the M and A activity as well. That they're starting to shift their focus in terms of the next evolution of the commodity sector because it's not going to be those traditional, you know, the the gas producer or explorer, the um, the coal miner, that's not going to be the winner in 50 years. It is going to be the lithium, the nickel, the copper. They're going to be the ones that are going to be winning out. And so you have this element, you know, we talk about investors diversifying their portfolio across different assets. Companies are doing that as well. So, mm. you know, BHP's bid for Oz Minerals, the largest, you know, one of the largest copper miners in the world. Um, and that's looking like it should go through. Rio's also been expanding into the lithium space globally. 
but also into the copper space as well. I think they're looking to, to make a, an acquisition in that copper space. So it's really interesting. You're seeing that obviously greenfield increase or like increase mm-hmm. in investment, which might may translate into equivalent uh, mining boom that we saw both in the early 2000s, 2012. Yeah. That'll be really interesting to watch that play out. But you're also saying that we're seeing quite a significant amount of uh, M&A activity. So companies trying to build that redundancy or kind of like succession planning of mineral exploration into their value chain, which is really cool. I think also just like if you think about when there is a a downturn in markets, when there is high inflation, there's a slowdown in consumer growth, there is this element of it, there is, you know, a recession um, that that we'll be having in some parts, but we'll maybe not in an extreme way, possibly in Australia, but definitely in countries, in regions mm-hmm. like Europe, for example, that is the time when the companies with strong um, balance sheets, with large cash reserves, that is the time that they invest in infrastructure. That is the time in which they invest in themselves and they look to make acquisitions across the and diversify it. So they're looking mm-hmm. ahead. And we saw that in COVID during that sort of recovery when you had a lot of those growth names. So Amazon, and Facebook were doing a lot of investments and the M&A activity in 2020 because they saw it as an opportunity at that time to look maybe five, 10 years out. Obviously, we've had this big downturn. A lot of those stocks have been hurt. But, you know, for an Amazon, I think they were one of the biggest uh, buyers of, um, for, of Boeing um, you know, planes because they were sort of looking and going, well, this is a great time to buy planes when planes are grounded. We need planes. They still need to fly and to deliver, you know, Amazon yeah, products around the absolutely. world. So let's do that. And in the mining sector right now, whilst there is a slowdown globally, we are seeing this element of, well, no, we need to look for, forward in the future. We need to diversify. And so yeah. we're seeing that from Australian companies in particular. I... As a lawyer, I geek out on M&A activity because I just find it really fascinating yes. strategically how companies are thinking. And it, it's actually probably a really good for investors that are kind of like strategically interested. You're watching some of the smartest, most resourced companies think about the future. Their mm. M&A activity is a really good indication of the way they see the world going as well. And it can be a nice counterpoint as well to just supplementing your research or interest. You know, what's BHP doing? Yeah. As, a, as an indication of what's happening next year. But I think I want to talk a little bit about uh, global themes because this year, obviously, inflation and post-pandemic supply chain demand levelling out was a big theme. And I take your point, Australian investors are very well known for investing in Australia. And I think we're all guilty of being you know, more familiar with Australia, a little bit of home country bias. Mm-hmm. But we've got players like Fortescue making particular global moves and green hydrogen, wherever that ends up going for Twiggy. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, it, 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 it'll, it'll go somewhere, definitely. You know, I, I, we've done a lot of research into hydrogen, but yeah, whether, yeah, who will be the winner? I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, he'll either be the richest man alive or it will be a really, really <laughs> wonderful experiment in <laughs> investing in novel climate change uh, solutions. But we've we've also seen, you know, global iron ore prices, China's COVID zero policy has had a significant mm. impact on supply. What other global themes do you think investors should be aware of that maybe are just generally going to impact global money flows or equally going to actually have an impact domestically that they need to be mindful of? Yeah, I think so. 
I was, if you break it down into sort of, I think, three areas, you've got, and you mentioned it, the China reopening. So there's a lot of focus at the moment on will China lift COVID restrictions? You know, there seems to be a miss mixed message in that as well. You know, some days you, you read that they're going to be opening things up and then the next day you have cities locked down. So I think that's going to have a big impact because why is that going to have a big impact? You know, a lot of um, demand for iron ore, even demand for, you know, I look at electric vehicles and electric vehicle demand will drive lithium demand. That comes out of China in particular. They've had big mm -hmm. transitions in that space. And if you think about electric vehicles, if you're going to have lithium demand, that's going to have copper demand as well. So it's all this flow and effect. So the China reopening story, I think people are going to be focusing very heavily on at the moment. Uh, the other one is power crisis. So it's been exacerbated by the Ukraine conflict and obviously Russia. So the geopolitical moves that countries like Russia are making in Europe, you know, turning off and sort of all slowing down, you know, gas supplies to the rest of Europe. And that's a really big concern. So when we think about the power crisis that's going to be, you know, is Europe going to be able to rebuild some of its gas inventories ahead of the next winter? So they've probably been able to use some of their existing inventory for this winter and that'll get them through. But what about next winter? So you're going to have, you know, without that Russian supply or China reopening, you may have then high gas and then in turn high coal prices. So power prices potentially remain high until you see, you know, gas supply starts to ramp up. And again, sometimes it's it's very people think, oh, we can't kind of can't a company just flick a switch and start doing that and you know providing an alternative you know, supply source. No, it's not just a an immediate um, as that. It takes time. So I think those two in particular. And then I think finally, it's the supply disruption. So what we've seen and commodity prices in particular have generally been supported by a lack of supply. Now, why is that? We obviously had slowdown in demand during COVID. So that resulted in companies and miners actually pulling back on some of their um, production and even exploration as well. Now, again, to turn those things on, it takes time. So you then start to see a supply deficit when you start to see reopening as well. But then you had lockdowns applied to that. So countries like China, you know, even Australia from some in some respects and, and around the world, they started to, to just have restrictions in terms of working. So you had supply deficits start to occur. So what potentially may see is that supply could lift in 2023 with a number of those projects that have started to ramp up. And so you're starting to see potentially some pullback or some price pressure that's going to apply to some of those minerals. So it's a, it's an interesting space at the moment because you you have this element of the China reopening, you have the the power issues that are occurring, and then you've got this supply, potentially oversupply, that's going to be there as well. You know, it's if you have China reopening, well, that then provides potentially a demand for some of that supply. So it may neutralize itself out. But I think they're going to be the three big things that we have to consider. Oh, and that's the beauty of investing. The future is completely opaque and we can all just make educated <laughs> guesses. But it does keep it interesting and it does keep you employed, Ganesh. So I... I yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think in, in that way, you know, you were talking around, um, you know, some of the how people can invest. And I was saying before... Sometimes it's hard then to go, do I pick a stock? Do I pick a, mm. a basket, a theme? You know, a lot of our indexes at the moment, they have a, a, a research-based methodology behind them. You know, the copper miners is, is looking at revenue purity 
it's looking at companies that are generating a certain percentage of revenue from that particular you know, um, underlying yeah. theme. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at green metal miners, it's looking at specific areas. So it may help for some investors that are thinking around this right now and thinking from a global perspective, because right now what you're also seeing is com- uh, companies like Rio, they're wanting to shift away the pressure that they have on China's um, demand. So they, uh, they're looking at going, well, if China's going to go in and out of reopening and closing, et cetera, and potentially other geopolitical tensions and, you know, who knows, you know, obviously we saw this year with Russia, you know, the geopolitical moves that they made and as a result, restrictions being placed on companies that could do business with Russia, that can happen also with, you know, if, you know, things go negatively with China, for example, and China, Taiwan. So you have companies like Rio going, we need to move away. We need to move mm-hmm. away from our, you know, dependency on just one market. And so they're working with countries like India and some of the other emerging markets who are really looking at, can do a lot of work in infrastructure. They're looking at doing deals with, you know, countries like in Argentina or even, you know, you think about, you know, Ford. So Rio's um, provided and and struck a deal with Ford to look at some of their biggest lithium uh, mines and provide lithium. To, for their electric vehicle expansion. So I think that's what also you're going to see. So I think sometimes the diversified play can help out in terms of balancing out um, sort of the volatility that we may have. I mean, it does. It's such a good lesson for the simplicity and the wisdom of that advice around diversification. Like big companies are thinking about this as well. <laughs> you know, uh, semiconductors, the whole world is reliant on one Taiwanese semiconductor uh, producer, and then we're now seeing that they're diversifying. Biden just struck a deal about yes. starting yep. up a company, but that's going to take time. It's going to take effort. But I love that we've talked about lots of different potential themes. Clearly, this is a sector that has no shortage of fun <laughs> ahead of it in 2023. So I'm going to ask you to indulge me for a moment mm-hmm. because we ask every guest this, and I recognize that it's a complete stab, but. It'd be fun to look back on this episode in a year and see how right you were. Imagine you're looking into a headline on the ASX Minerals newspaper in 2023, end of 2023. Mm-hmm. What does it say? Let me have a think. I think 2023, I was actually thinking, let's break it down into the three R's. Recession, reopening, renewables. Oh, <laughs> such a good headline. Such a good headline. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, it's going to be a, a year of potential recession. Um, there's this reopening, obviously, mainly around China. Mm-hmm. And then as we talked about, especially on the mineral side and material side, that renewables, that shift, that diversification that they're going to be doing because, you know, people like sometimes feel conflicted in thinking, well, I want to invest in clean technology, in sustainability. I want to invest for the future. Why would I invest in a miner? But unfortunately, we need to have those miners and that that material to get to that net zero. It's sort of this, this double-edged exactly. sword. Yeah. And so yeah. and th- that's, that's why people, that's why we've seen um, a lot of interest in some of, our, some of our ETFs around that space because they can sort of see that, that link. But yeah, for me, it's a three hours recession, reopening, renewables. Oh, 
fantastic headline and a fantastic way to end this episode on materials and minerals. I have loved, I'm really enjoying the ASX Deep Dive series because it's been a real pleasure getting to know the ins and outs and kind of what's happening in each of these areas. So thank you so much for joining us. And I know it's going to be a busy year for Global X. So have a happy and restful break. And then Thank I'm you. very keen to see what you guys come out with next year. Yeah. And, you know, please, if anyone has any questions, please reach out globalxetfs.com.au. But yeah, look forward to, to speaking in 2023. Thanks, Ganesh. And to our listeners, thanks for hanging out with us this week. We'll see you next week. 